0: Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, I was uh, asked to come. And I understand uh, Brother Tommy's out for uh, a few weeks and some, some things that has, were on his schedule before he became your interim pastor. And so uh, thank you so much for having me uh, back. I've come up from Clinton today, and I told the first group it's a lot colder up here than it is down there in Clinton, but uh, they, it's cold up here. That's all we used to it. But uh, I'm so glad to be uh, with you. Uh, I uh, I appreciate so much the staff that you have here. Uh, I've known Jason Ford uh, for quite some time uh, before he became, or I guess before he became a part of uh, the McDonald family. and They became part of the Ford family. Uh, I've known uh, them through the Flints in uh, Oxford, Mississippi, for a long time. Uh, Jason's uncle-in-law served with me uh, on staff a long time ago, so it's, it, what I'm saying is that he is, he is one outstanding minister, and he's, he's one of a whole staff full of outstanding people here, and uh, it's just a privilege uh, for me to be able to, to, to be a part of worshiping with all of you. I love the worship we've had. It's worship that has been centered around the gospel. It's worship that is centered around what Christ has done for us, that blood that washes away our sin as we worship uh, the Lamb. It's, uh, it's just been a wonderful time. Today, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in the Gospels. And it's, uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 20. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to that, Matthew chapter 20, we're going to look at a little bit in chapter 19 as well. And maybe another passage or two as we go along. But let me give you a little bit of background to this passage of Scripture before we jump into it. Jesus is on His way, in the Gospel of Matthew, on His way now to Jerusalem to be crucified, to surrender His life so that you and I might have life. He, he was set, had said set His face was on His way. When we come to Matthew chapters 19 and 20, Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan River uh, from Israel, and He's going to come across that, uh, that river and, and be in Israel uh, and go on to Jerusalem in the future in this text. But it's not long, not long before He will give His life for our sins. As He's making His way, uh, he's confronted by a group of Pharisees, confronted over the issue of marriage. They were trying to trap him, and, and they said something Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? And there's, there's historical background to that any cause divorce. And Jesus answered the question and it's interesting to me as his disciples were with him and traveling with him and had been with him for a long time now. They still have so much to learn and Jesus is using every one of these opportunities to teach them. And so they say something to Jesus after he responded to the Pharisees about marriage well, something like this. They respond with, "Well, if that's the way marriage is, who would want to be married?" I mean, that's the kind of way that they responded to him about because their preconceptions, and particularly in in the the world, the culture, the Jewish culture in which they had been reared. Next, we find Jesus with a group of children, children that are coming to Jesus, and you remember that the disciples tried to keep them away from Jesus. And he said, no, let let them come to me, for, for these are the kinds of people that will enter the kingdom. And he was speaking of their humility. And then there's a young man that shows up and begins to ask Jesus questions. We call him the rich young ruler. But he was actually probably a synagogue official. He was young, and he was wealthy. And you remember he said to Jesus, what? Must I do to have eternal life? And, and Jesus says, well, you keep the commandments. And he said, well, what commandments? Tell me what? And he, and he told him. And he said, well, I've done all of that. And Jesus said, well, you lack one thing. And the guy's like, okay, tell me what that is. He said, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And the scripture says that the young man grieved because he had many possessions, and he left. But what I want you to see, and there, there's a, there, there are great lessons in, in that in itself, but what I want you to see is how the disciples reacted to this young man and what Jesus said to him. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, the young man has just walked away. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I assure you, It will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's hard for a rich person to go into heaven. And and then he said, I'll tell you how hard it is. It's harder for a camel, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. And, and I've heard the stories over the years uh, about how there was a, a smaller uh, gate, maybe, that uh, was in the walls of the uh, city of Jerusalem, and how camels could kneel down and crawl through that gate. There, there's no archaeological evidence for that at all. What Jesus was saying, he was talking about a needle just like the kind of needle we know about, with the eye I-N that you thread the thread through. He says it's easier for a camel to go through that than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. What? Wow. I want you to see how the disciples reacted. And Jesus is using this as an opportunity to teach them. In verse 25 of chapter 19, the disciples, when they heard this, they were utterly astonished. And they asked, Then who can be saved? Now why would they have asked that question? What could it be? And it is that in that culture they had been taught that wealth was a sign of God's favor. And that if a person was wealthy God had shown his favor to that person. And so they're saying well if somebody like that can't enter into the kingdom of God who can? And and then they began to talk about themselves uh jesus first of all in verse 26 says and i I think he says this with a little smile on his face jesus looked at them and said with men this is impossible but with god all things are possible peter goes on he says he, he responded to him look we've left everything and followed you so what will there be for us can, can you see the reasoning that he's got there? He said, if, if, if this guy, if a rich person can't enter the kingdom of heaven, when, when God favors the rich, how about those of us who have nothing? Where does that leave us? And Jesus had said, well, with men it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then, verse 28, Jesus said to them, I assure you, in the Messianic age... When the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you have followed Him, Uh, you have followed Me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then He says this, And everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters, father or mother, children or fields, because of My name, will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. And so He begins to reassure them. And then He says this, the last verse of chapter 19, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. He's teaching them, and I believe he's teaching them with a smile on his face. He says, you know, you're worried about who's going to get into the kingdom of God, and I tell you, it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, and they're saying, how can this be? We have nothing if they can't, how can we? And Jesus says, I don't want you to worry about it. He says, you have, uh, you've given up much. Listen, to follow Christ requires sacrifice. There's no doubt about it. But then he says, in verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And then he tells... The most outrageous story. And that's what I want us to look at. The story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 20. Before I read the story to you, let's go to the very last verse of the story. Verse 16 of chapter 20. Look at that. He says, so the last will be first and the first last. Do you see how the end of 19 ties to the end of the story It's meant to that's the way Matthew intended for it to be. The fact is that when the Bible was written there weren't chapters and there weren't verses. It was just written. And it's sort of unfortunate that this one starts uh, or that that first statement ends chapter 19 before we get into the story, but I just want you to see that the two are together. And the fact is that Jesus is about to tell them something. He's been saying about this rich individual there there They're asking this question, how could it be that he is not going to go and and we are so poor? And Jesus said, look, the last will be first and the first will be last. And then he tells them this. I'm going to read the story. I'm telling you, it's one of the craziest stories Jesus ever told. He told some crazy ones to make a point. But listen to this. Verse 20, I mean, chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like... Don't forget, that's how it starts. He's about to tell them, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius for the day he sent them into his vineyard, when he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. To those men he said, you also go to my vineyard and I will give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and at three, he went out again, did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired uh, about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These men, these last men, put in one hour. And you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day and the burning heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my business? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So, the last will be first, and the first, last. That's a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, when you look at that story and you think about that story, it is our natural inclination to be indignant about what we've just read and to say, that's not fair. That is not fair. And he begins to hire these men to go into his vineyard. The first one he hires about 6 a.m. They get out in the vineyard begin to do their work. Then he hires some more at 9. Then he hires some more at 12. Then he hires some more at 3. And then he hires some at 5. The day is going to end at 6. So there's only one more hour. And when he goes to pay them, he tells his foreman, okay, begin with the last ones first. Pay them what you're paying everybody else. And the ones who came along had been working all day said, this not this is not right. And the Master says, Are you jealous because I'm generous? And I want to tell you, that's a crazy story. And it gets right at, at what we think is fair or not. But Jesus is talking about something entirely different. He's talking about the grace of God. This story... Is about the grace of God, and it's just as outrageous to us as, well, let's say for instance, this is this is uh, for for the pros, this is playoff time in uh, in the NFL. Uh, I'm a football fan; I just love I love it, and so um, my Saints are playing this afternoon. <laughs> Somebody in the first service said I'm a Cowboys fan. I almost said, well, sorry about that, because. They're gone now, you know. But do you know what? Do you know who had the worst record in the entire NFL this year? It was the Arizona Cardinals. Anybody in here a big Arizona fan? It was the Arizona Cardinals. They won three games. They lost 13 games. You know, the Saints won 13, lost three. What if at the end of the 17-week regular season... NFL officials, the owners, all get together and say, tell you what, we're going to do it different this year. Cardinals, congratulations. You are the Super Bowl champs. Oh, you say, well, that's just dumb. I mean, it is so stupid. Well, it really is. But Jesus tells just as outrageous a story when he says those who have worked for one hour get the same pay as those who worked for 12 hours. It's a story of the grace of God. The last will be first, and the first will be last. I want you to think about what the Bible has to say about you and me. I mean, what we've looked at here is, is it's outrageous. It's over the top. But Jesus says this is what the grace of God is like. If you understand the grace of God, then we've got to understand who we are. The Bible is very clear about who we are. You don't have to open your Bibles to this. I'm I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 3 where Paul is reminding the people to whom he's writing just who it is that we are as human beings. And he gets this from different texts in the Old Testament, Psalm, the, the Psalms mostly, some from Ecclesiastes, from, some from Isaiah. But listen to him. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is in their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. and the paths of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow, that that is a pretty harsh indictment of us as human beings, isn't it? Paul wrote something similar in Ephesians. And this is how he described us. He said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead corpses, spiritual corpses. Nothing could bring you to life again. You're dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. That's Satan, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Then he talked about himself. He said, We too previously all lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, just as the others were also. Children under wrath. And Paul said, I was a child under wrath. What wrath? God's wrath. God's wrath. You know, you you ever wonder, people say, I'm going to be saved. What what Jesus did, he came to save us from our sins. And, And that is true. But you take that out a little bit further and understand what that means. We have been saved from the wrath of God. And so Jesus is teaching this lesson that the last will be first and the first will be last. We need to understand who we are. Then we need to understand who He is and what He's done. Because Paul goes on after saying, I was one of those myself. I was a child under wrath. But listen to what he says next. But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us. Listen to this. He said he made us alive. Even though we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive. And then he says, For you are saved by what? Grace. Saved by grace. See, that's the story that Jesus tells about the vineyard owner. It's a story of outrageous grace. For you are saved by grace, and he goes on to say, Together with Christ Jesus... He also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Then, these, this verse that we all know For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is God's gift. It's a gift, not from works. So that no one can boast. Outrageous grace. Over the top mercy. That's what he gives. And Jesus wanted his disciples to get it. Before he went into Jerusalem and gave himself up. So that his blood shed on the cross would pay the penalty for their sin and my sin, and your sin. As the Bible says, remove it as far as the east is from the west. Listen, let me tell you what happened on the cross that day. Those of us who have by faith received what Jesus did for us have been justified. We've been declared innocent, never to be condemned. And we were also sanctified. The cross also purchased for us Our sanctification, that means our growth into the likeness of Christ. Specifically, what it means is that he has freed us not only from the penalty of sin, he has freed us now from the power of sin over us. Even now, right now. The grace of God is outrageous. It's it's almost maddening. It's beyond anything that we can think. So we hear the story, and and the question I'd want to ask, a couple of questions first, is this. Uh, Are you in the story? Are you? You you know, the the guys that were asked to go work in the vineyard, every one of them were in the vineyard. If they went at 6 in the morning, they went at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And my question for you today is that, are you in the story? Oh, he wants you in the story so badly. That's why Jesus came, to put you in the story. It would be my prayer for you today that you would say, I want in the story. And I come before him, and I accept his invitation to come into the vineyard, which means that by faith, I receive what Jesus did for me on the cross. It just simply means this. I say, I believe that. I believe that he did that. Are you in the story? Uh, The second question is, if you are in the story, where are you? I mean, some of them start at 6 a.m. Some of them didn't get in until 5 p.m. Let me give you a hint. This has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. <laughs> uh, if that were true, uh, I would have been a 6 a.m. <laughs> because I've been a Christian for a long time. I- I've been a Christian for 59 years. But you know what I've discovered? <clears throat> i discovered this has nothing to do with the length of time a person is a believer. It has everything to do with my deserving his mercy. So what I've discovered, as I look at the story and I think through it, is that I'm a five o'clocker. I'm one of those five o'clock guys. And so are you, if you were his. What do we do with this? But As I've already mentioned, if you're not in the story, get in it. By faith, come to him and say, I ask you to forgive me of my sin, and I receive you as my Savior. Get in the story. If you're in the story, here's what I want to suggest that you do. First of all, be grateful. Live grateful. I know so many Christians that go around with their their eyes cast down and they're so sad about their look at what he's done for you live like it live grateful and i'd say this without ever compromising the truth don't be judgmental live grateful you can do that you 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 can be Non-judgmental and still not compromise the truth. Stop judging folks and start loving them. My goodness, when you understand what, what amazing, over-the-top, outrageous grace we've been given, how can we ever look down our noses at someone else and say, You're worse than I am? I want to tell you something, it ain't the truth. The only difference is you've received His grace, and they haven't yet. Live grateful. Don't be judgmental. And and finally, I would just encourage you to tell somebody. Every one of us have people, maybe in our families or maybe where we work or at school or wherever it might be, people who are convinced that God doesn't have anything to do with their life. If they believe in him at all, they're convinced that he doesn't like them. They're convinced for all kinds of reasons. Maybe it's because of the way we Christians have acted. But but maybe it's because they think, you know, he couldn't love me. Knowing what I know about me. Knowing the things I've done, he couldn't love me. And Jesus said, look, the last will be first. And the first last. If I can give you a homework assignment this week, it would be go find that person and tell them how loved they are by him. Tell them that he came to liberate them. And to put their lives on a whole new plane.